Many people feel divorce is a death sentence, but with the right support and guidance, you can move through the process with knowledge, skills, and confidence. It can also be a time of growth and progress. As a divorce and empowerment coach, I'm an invaluable member of your divorce team. I help you understand and navigate the process, come to terms with your emotions, avoid costly mistakes, learn skills to help you communicate and negotiate, find your true voice, and create an empowered life post-divorce. If you're interested in learning more, schedule a free consultation at HerEmpowereddivorce.com. Hi, beautiful. I'm so excited about our episode today. I have a fabulous expert to share with you. She's going to share her advice on how to help you on your divorce journey. I get asked so many questions about divorce, and many of them are legal. Hi, Christina. Thank you so much for being my guest today. It's so good to have you here. Hi, Beverly. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So the first thought that comes to my mind is what are the processes that are available to handle a divorce case? So I would say the three main options, and I'll go through each of them in detail. The first is litigation. The second okay. is mediation. And the mm -hmm. third is collaborative. Um, okay. So the first is, like I said, it's litigation. And that is when usually one or both sides have their own attorney and the case is before a judge. Documents are requested formally. Parties usually are not speaking to each other very often. Their attorneys are speaking on their behalf. And if a decision cannot be made in the case, if there's not a settlement, issues throughout the case, and then ultimately the decision at the end of the case regarding custody, finances, property division, goes to a trial before a judge. Okay. Now, I will say about litigation, sometimes it has a bad reputation, and it doesn't mean that you can't settle at any point throughout the process. And actually with divorce cases, very frequently, I mean, it's very, it's fairly rare that a divorce case actually goes to a full trial, um, but there may be hearings along the way and interim things that need to be dealt with. But really, at, at any point in the case, you know, when the parties have enough information and are ready to do so, they can settle their matter. But if they can't, or if there are issues that they just cannot resolve, a judge will make the decision. So that's okay. that's litigation. The second is mediation. Mediation is when parties uh, go before a, they, they select a neutral person, typically an attorney, doesn't, oh, isn't always an attorney, but actually I, I recommend that the mediator be a family law attorney in a family law case. And the parties attempt to reach agreement, the, the, the neutral mediator facilitates the you know, ability of the agreements to make a party. The mediator really does, doesn't, isn't representing one side or the other. Sometimes the people who are the the uh, parties who are in the mediation will each have their own consulting attorneys to speak with about how the mediation process is going, questions about is this fair, is this not fair, does this seem right, are we on the right track, do you have any suggestions for things? It's not necessary, but it's it's usually recommended. And then the third process is collaborative law, the collaborative process, which has really gained more traction in recent years. It's more popular in some parts of the country than others. A collaborative law invo a process involves a team of professionals. 
Um, each party has their own lawyer, must have their own lawyer in a collaborative law process. And then oftentimes there is usually either one or two financial professionals. Sometimes in some places there are two financial professionals, one for each party. Sometimes there's one neutral one that kind of helps, you know, with, with the financial issues and for education. And there are often mental health professionals involved too, either a neutral or two, you know, they're, they're called coaches frequently in the, in the collaborative context mm -hmm. to kind of address dynamics that may come up, you know, in divorce cases. Um, and and mm -hmm. the, the goal of the collaborative process is to resolve the case amicably. Um, and sort of within this within this team, it's kind of this insular universe where every you know the issues that can that come up in a case, you can have a professional that's there that's part of the team to help help deal with it. The critical distinction in a collaborative matter, distinguished from mediation, is that in a collaborative law matter, the the attorneys will actually sign what's called a disqualification agreement at the beginning of the of the case saying if the collaborative law process fails the attorney cannot then represent the client in court in a litigation and the reason okay. is is it is to incentivize the lawyers you know to to want to keep the process amicable to try to work towards settlement and if the process does fail um, and if it is does become a litigated case the parties will need to get other attorneys to to represent them. So there, I mean, there's a there's a fourth pro process that I don't see too often in in my world. But I mean, parties if parties can sort of come to an agreement themselves. I mean, you know, at the you know at the dinner table, you know, and and come up with what they want to do, and really just you know involve a a mediator or a, or attorneys to just draft the paperwork. It, it can happen, but I don't see it too frequently. And I think sometimes if there are, you know, if there are assets involved and if there are children involved and it, it sometimes the more, the more complicated the case is, the more, you know, it's usually pretty typical to see one of these right. other processes used. Yeah. I typically see it among, um, young people with no children and no assets. Right, right. Whereas maybe it's a short-term yeah. marriage. You keep what you have. Mm -hmm. I keep what I have. We're just going to draft the paperwork. You know, no spousal support, obviously yeah. no child support. And, and those cases exist, of course. Um, but it's, it's And that's more called about. pro se? So depending on your jurisdiction. Yes. Yeah. Pro se or pro okay. per. Yeah. Those are the two, the two ways of, um, of uh, calling a self-represented. second one you said? Pro per. Pro what per, per. P -E -R. Yeah, we pro per. Yeah, pro per. That's what we call it in California. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Um, so if you'd like, I mean, I, it may be helpful for your listeners for me to kind of talk to talk through the pros and the cons of of each approach. Beautiful. If you think that would be helpful, Let's do it. Great. Very okay. Good. So. Litigation, you know, as I mentioned before, it, it kind of has a, you know, bad reputation, um, but, but is, is, I'll start with the pros. Um, litigation is, is good when, a, when one or both parties are simply not cooperative. And, and sometimes in, you'll have a case where somebody is, doesn't want to move the matter forward, won't engage in the process or on the other end of the spectrum, you know, super hostile, uncooperative, is not interested in resolving anything. And, in, and with that dynamic, um, it's impossible it to, to settle a case. Um, sometimes 
sometimes one party will start off like that in the litigation process and then sort of as the process goes along they see that it's you know a difficult way to engage it's an expensive way to right. proceed and so it's not to say that a case can't be settled when that dynamic exists but you know litigation exists and the courts exists when a decision has to be made and the parties are unable because one or both of them just cannot make a decision on financial issues so property division or support which you know alimony or spousal support spousal maintenance some jurisdictions call it and child support or child custody issues basically all of the issues that that arise in a divorce so you know, another example is when there's abuse, of course. I mean, you know, I'll talk a little bit about some of the other processes are not, not appropriate in cases where there has been, you know, emotional or physical abuse. Sometimes restraining orders are necessary. So the, the courts exist for a reason, and, and that is a pro. You will, you will have a decision made by a judge in your case. The cons. Um, it is typically an expensive process. Um, it is it is a process that can sometimes can often be acrimonious, contentious, and it makes things difficult in terms of for family. It often can make things difficult in terms of family moving on in a in a new dynamic, right? Because a divorce doesn't doesn't right. end the family. It just re recreates uh, what the what the going forward dynamic is going to be, especially if their children Stars are left. Yeah, correct. That's right. That's right. And so, um, you know, I mean, the other part of litigation is, you you know, uh, judges have a lot of cases before them. I think almost every court in this country, especially in major metropolitan areas like L.A. and New York, I mean, the, the courts are overloaded. And so, you know, judges, you know, they do their their best, of course. But, you know, you're you're having a stranger make a decision. Um about about your lives about very important parts parts of your life that you know if possible if you are able to reach a resolution a settlement whether that's in a litigation process mm -hmm. after a certain period of time um or in one of these other processes i think everyone can agree if it's possible that's that's the, if it's possible and if it's fair although divorce lawyers uh sometimes right. we refer to fair as the f word <laughs> But, uh, you know, if it's if it's possible, well, settle. yeah, I think that's a misunderstanding. Yeah, I think that's a misunderstanding. Just like my mother used to say when I was little, life isn't fair. Well, right. You know, I mean, it's a it's a difficult process. Fair. That's right. That's de that's definitely true. Yeah. yeah. So so those are the pros and cons of, of the litigation process. The pros and cons of the mediation process. So this is again, where you have a, a third party neutral, a mediator that helps to facilitate, um, you know, discussions and ultimately hopefully an agreement about all the issues in your case. So pros are, it's a, it is a, a, a process that is totally voluntary. So both parties want to be there, presumably. Both parties, you know, want to reach a resolution. Both parties want to engage in the process. And you can come up with, sometimes you can come up with more creative solutions in a settlement or in a mediation or in a collaborative process than would otherwise arise if your case were tried. I mean, there may be only a few options that a judge has in order to deal with a, you know, a, a variety of issues where in a, in a settled case and in a mediation, for example, 
you have sort of the time and the flexibility to come up, you know, to explore options that may work best for you and the family, you and your family. Um, okay. So I think, it, you know, in terms of the, the scars, like it's a, like I said, you know, it's a less, less contentious, ideally, it's not, not to say that every mediation is, is kumbaya, because that's certainly not, not, not the case. I mean, there's conflict and there are issues, difficult issues that need to be worked out. Um, but the idea is that both, both parties, because it's voluntary, want to at least attempt to come to a resolution, to see if they can come to a resolution. Typically is, right. a, less exp- typically is a less expensive process. Um, you're, you haven't hired, if you're in a mediation, usually you haven't hired lawyers to communicate on your behalf, right, exclusively. You know, you and your spouse will be in the same room with the mediator. Consulting attorneys may or may not be present. May, they may be there or, the, or it may be a situation where you speak to your consulting attorney afterward or beforehand about things to prepare for or things that have happened in the mediation. Um, so those are, those are the pros of a, of a mediated approach. The cons, I would say the main con, and this is sort of what I touched on before, some cases are just not suited for it. Um, I, I think some, sometimes uh, a party will think, well, if I can mediate the case, it will be a quick resolution where I don't have to provide documents to the other side, for example. Right. So that's, <laughs> that's I mean, oh. that's something. Yeah. <laughs> or I provide limited documents. You know, I provide the bare minimum of what I have to have, you know, be the, 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 the mandated, you know, state, you know, disclosure form. And beyond that, you know, we'll just reach a, a quick deal. You know, maybe a spouse that's more used to right. sort of running the show. For mediation to work, there needs to be full transparency. And, you know, free exchange of documents. Of course, it's up to the parties what they want to exchange beyond, of course, the required disclosures. But yeah, the, the cases where someone's trying to sort of pull a fast one on the other one, not not good for mediation. Um, though uh, consulting attorneys can can help, though, in that case to at least, you know, to advise the, the client, hey, look, you're entitled and I am advising and recommending that you look at XYZ and have a financial expert like an accountant look at XYZ before you do a deal on this issue. Situations where there's been abuse, of course, that's, you know, that's, those yeah. are, those cases are not, not generally appropriate for mediation. And, you know, situations where sometimes you just have a party who, like I said, doesn't want to engage in the process, doesn't want to cooperate, either has their head in the sand or, are, you know, kind of burying their head in the sand or are hostile, you know, and just those cases are not, not well suited. But I, I think I think uh, you know me- mediation is 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 a great option for a lot of families. Um, so that's that's that. Um, the collaborative law. So the pros of collaborative law is that is that you are putting together a team of professionals, like I said before, and they're they're experts who are trained to really deal with all the different dynamics and issues that come up in a divorce. And the other thing is you can kind of pick and choose additional experts in addition to attorneys, financial professionals, and a coach, you know, you can, if, if there's a specific, if it's a, a, if there's, for example, special needs child or, you know, involved, like you can have a child specialist, you know, you can involve people with the specific expertise needed. You know, I've, I've seen collaborative cases where, okay, a house may need to be sold or refinanced. They'll bring in a real estate, you know, broker, somebody that that's experienced a mortgage lender, things like that to kind of advise gotcha. again, voluntary okay. process 
total transparency. Everybody okay. is pretty much, because what happens within the collaborative, in order to facilitate that transparency and that really working collaborative environment, you know, every, they, they want to, it, it's a, it's a confidential environment where that, you know, information exchange mediation is that way too, at least in California. Uh, so check your jurisdiction. Mm -hmm. I, I should say the advice I'm giving is, um, you know, it's not, not specific to any state. You should always, in any divorce, you're going to have to consult with a lawyer in your own jurisdiction because, you know, rules right. in every state are different. But at least in California, mediations and things that happen in the course of a mediation are typically confidential. Many people feel divorce is a death sentence, but with the right support and guidance, you can move through the process with knowledge, skills, and confidence. It can also be a time of growth and progress. As a divorce and empowerment coach for over 25 years, I'm an invaluable member of your divorce team. I help you understand and navigate the process, come to terms with your emotions, avoid costly mistakes, learn skills to help you negotiate, find your true voice, and create an empowered life post-divorce. If you're intrigued and want to learn more, schedule a free consultation with me at HerEmpoweredDivorce.com. And now let's get back to the show. If there is a disqualification and they need to, to get a new attorney and collaborative to go to court, then you've got the new uh, retainer, the new fees all yes. over again. Right. And I think that's, but I think, I mean, I, you know, practitioners, you know, pe they're, you know, people do love collaborative for the, for the right cases because I, I think it's a, it's a commitment. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a process. It's an, and it's a commitment where everybody's sort of on the same team saying we are really going to, everybody's trying to commit to resolve this. Whereas mediation, you know, Sometimes, I mean, it preserves options for sure. In other words, you know, it's more flexible in that regard. But, you know, somebody could end the, end the mediation after like one or two sessions, say, you know, there's a blow up. I don't want to do this anymore. Let's go to court. Whereas collaborative, I think because of those sort of consequences, so to speak, it may be that folks are really, they understand the process up front and understand they really want to try to make that process work where possible because of the for lack of a better word, consequences, um, you know, if it, if it doesn't, just in terms of starting over. Sometimes women come to me complaining about the cost of divorce. And one of the things that I know affects it drastically is how long the process takes. Definitely. And there, sometimes you see one of the spouses dragging it out and not turning over documents and really continuing to do things that make the length of time so long. Are attorneys aware of that? And is there anything that can be done to keep, to manage that time? Attorneys are definitely, definitely aware of it. Um, and, and at least in the jurisdiction, you know, in, I practice in California, there are absolutely consequences for, you know, spouses who do not turn over financial information. I mean, it involves filing motions with the court, you know, which is an expense. Right. Um, but at least in California, if you have to file a motion for the court to obtain documents that you're clearly entitled to, you have the, you can potentially seek sanctions, um, which is a financial penalty on the other party for the failure to turn over what's clearly, you know, you're entitled to. So 
yes, it can take time. I mean, it's kind of the nature of the court system. And yes, there is, you know, an expense associated with filing motions. Um, but the, the, the courts, there are remedies to deal with that. And, you know, I would say for, for, you know, for women who are involved, let's say in a mediation and, you know, a couple of sessions and they're not, they're not getting the documents, for example, that they're asking for, or they get a say, you know, and, and they're told the mediator, Hey, okay, like we need to get these documents. And if a party's not cooperating, then it's, then it's probably time to end that process. Cause like I said, these other sort of these amicable sort of settlement focused processes are not right for every case. And there are those cases where somebody's going to be, you know, not turn over things. The other option in a litigated case is to subpoena documents. Um, and it's something mm -hmm. I do all the time, right? So if, you know, you want bank statements, you want credit card statements, you want these uh, state, you know, all this stuff that, you know, say it's an account you don't have access to. There are subpoenas that exist, you know, you subpoena the bank and you will get those documents. Um, it just, it just sometimes takes a little bit of time. Oh, that was perfect. Yeah. I was, um, very interested in that. I'm so glad you mentioned domestic violence. That is really a hot button of mine. I'm a survivor myself. So one of the things I tell, um, I tell potential clients is typically call the divorce coach first on your team and they will help you build out the rest. But in the case of domestic violence, that's absolutely not the way to go. The first person you call is an attorney. Absolutely. You've got safety issues or, or the first person you call is the domestic violence shelter or the domestic violence hotline and then the attorney because um, some of the latest statistics I've seen are that 70% of women that leave an abusive marriage are murdered. Oh and God. so um, you, they definitely need to have that experience support, not just a friend, not a mother, not somebody that experienced something different in a different state, but they need experts telling them how to do it. So one of the things I recommend is there, in certain cases, you need a very specific attorney. You need somebody that has experience in domestic violence, or you need an attorney that has experience dealing with a narcissistic spouse, or you need an attorney that's specifically dealing with uh, fraudulent uh, financials. How does somebody find that niche, you know, because you can, you can look up family law attorneys, you can look up attorneys, but my recommendation to them is get somebody that's done this before, not just somebody in general. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, I absolutely echo what, what you're saying. I mean, absolutely. You of course want your support network in place, you know, you know, but absolutely the, the first stop needs to be an attorney because domestic violence cases, especially, you know, at the outset, they move very quickly. You know, if there's a need for a temporary restraint, emergency temporary restraining order in place, um, they, yeah, they're fast paced and, and you definitely want somebody who is experienced and who has done it before. So, so for example, like a mediator, you know, we, we'll get, we'll talk a little bit later about sort of how to best select a lawyer, although maybe we can just, you know, we can talk about it now because it, it sort of segues yeah, into, right into it. Yeah, is, is, 
I mean, it, you want an attorney. I mean, you want to think about the kind of process and the kind of case, you know, the, how, how you are going to, ha- you know, how you want your case to proceed. If you need emergency relief, whether it's a restraining order against a person, whether it's a property type of restraining order because assets are disappearing, you know, whether you need emergency right. custody relief, things like that, you know, where it's going to be immediately you need to file and start off the case in a certain way. Right. Versus, okay, you know what? My spouse and I, yes, there are issues, but I think we want to try to save costs. We can be in the same room together. Okay. You want to pick an attorney who is a good experienced mediator, just like you want an experienced litigator for certain type of cases and specifically a family law litigator, not, not necessarily a generalist, but somebody who knows family law. Similarly with a mediator, you want to pick somebody who has experience with all the different dynamics, you know, because that that arise in in a divorce case. While no two divorce cases are the same, of course, there are similar dynamics that, you know, arise in in each case. So you want a practitioner that is experienced in the type of issues that you think are going to come up in your case. So I totally echo that. I mean, I think. And how do you find them? How do you, you find, find it? Yes. I was going to say, so, I mean, I, I think my opinion is, I mean, sort of the, the best way initially is I think word of mouth, I mean, is, is a referral. Okay. So to, to the, that, I mean, I think okay. if you know, you know, friends who have gone the friends, family members, you know, any women's support groups, whoever, you know, who have gone through a divorce, I think that the best place to start is to ask is to ask them. Second to that, I mean, a lot of times on state bar websites, you can identify, you know, attorneys, at least in California, you can identify their practice areas. That's another, another good place to start, um, to see, okay, Okay. is this, you know, somebody who specializes in family law You can kind of look at their, I mean, a, a lot of, I mean, I think a lot of, for example, you know, folks that only mediate as an example are generally going to say that on their website, right? I mean, it's, it's clear, like once you start getting, getting names and again, I think, you know, referral word of mouth, that kind of stuff, you know, or if, or even if, you know, if you, if you, if you have, if, if the client knows the potential client knows a lawyer, for example, that could be in a different field. They can ask that, you know, sometimes people have a trust and estates attorney, you know, or even like, you know, if you have a good relationship with your accountant, you know, or a therapist, you know, it's not just friends and family, you know, any kind of trusted advisor, I would say, you know, you can ask them, Hey, you know, do you know any, do you know any family law attorneys you can, you can recommend? I think that that's, that's a great starting point. Um, and I, I always think it's good. I was going to say, I think it's also good for clients, for potential clients to interview more than one attorney. Um, it doesn't have to be yes. 20 people, you know, but I, I think meeting, speaking with two or three people or more if they want, you know, but to, to sort of get a sense of the personality, is this going to be a good fit? You know, I, it's a way of getting knowledge too, you know, so I, I, I think that that's important too. Um, and early in the process, yeah. that's, that's another thing. You mentioned the bar association earlier. There's a lot of information available there where you might be able to get lists of attorneys. Let's say you're new to the town and you know, nobody, mm-hmm. but is it appropriate then to just call the law firm before even paying for that consultation and say, does this attorney have experience in blah, 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 blah. Will that be something that you can find out without having to pay for a consult? 
I think, I mean, so usually like a website will be a great, an attorney's website and most attorneys okay. this day and age have a website, I think is a, is a great place to start. You know, attorneys have a, I, in my experience, most attorneys have a lot of information on websites as to, you know, you can see what their background is, where they went to school, what their specialties are, you know, how long they've been doing it, you know, I mean, they, and, and the kinds of matters that they handle. I, I heard recently somebody say, you know, what the website is almost the new business card these days, um, where that's kind right. of the first stop for, for information. So I think that's a great place okay. to start because if, you know, you get a name and you're looking at the website and let's say it's more personal injury, right. And maybe the, you know, as an example, right. You can see, all right, they, you know, right. they don't do what I do or do what I want. So yeah, I think that's a good place to start. I mean, you can certainly, there's no harm in calling the office and, and usually an office, if they have somebody that picks up the phone and you can, you know, the, you know, some, yeah. some offices will, you know, have sort of, uh, an intake person, right? Before you even get on the phone with a with an attorney, we'll have an intake process, ask a few questions about the matter and just very basic things to A, get do a conflict check and B, see if it, the matter is would be an appropriate fit for the firm or for the attorney before the consultation. You had mentioned earlier that in litigation, a judge decides. Mm -hmm. And we talked about this concept of fairness right? Mm -hmm. One of the things I encourage all my clients to do is to be informed and to be an advocate for themselves, not to throw their hands up and say, oh, this is too complicated. My attorney's just going to handle it all. Because that way, then somebody else is making your decisions. And five years down the road, you could look back and go, gosh, I didn't want it to end this way at all. What are your thoughts on on that subject. Yes, I mean, this is definitely a, a realm where knowledge is power. Um, you you wanna be informed, you, I mean, of course, you rely on your attorney, your attorney is your trusted advisor, your attorney will help you, and, but you, you know, I, I think the, the, the client is also, it's critical for the client to understand, you know, what's going on in your case, right? Like where, you know, what's going on in your case? Mm -hmm. Like, what are your rights? What are your obligations? Um, you know, what's, you know, if, if there's settlement being reached, what are the details of, you know, of course, the attorney can't settle the case without the client's, you know, permission and under and consent, but really read the settlement document, understand, ask questions. You know, I, I think critically really at the beginning of, of the case and even before someone's you know maybe someone's thinking about divorce they're not sure but they want to start I, I encourage you know encourage clients get educated you know meet with an attorney pay for that consultation for an hour or whatever to understand what the process is in your jurisdiction what your rights are what your obligations are so that you know what to expect I mean I think a few other you know especially if there's you know, if, if a spouse potentially has not worked outside of the house, isn't, you know, for a long time, isn't financially sophisticated, their, their partner, their spouse kind of handles all the bills, handles all the finances, makes the money. I think it's really important because at the beginning of every case, I mean, in all most jurisdictions that I know, you know, there's this, this uh, disclosure schedule, a financial disclosure that gets exchanged, you know, that has assets, debts, income, expenses. Um, and so I think it's just even to get in a place where you start thinking about, okay, what is my post 
divorce life gonna gonna look like in terms of assets spending it's important i think as early as possible to get a, a handle on and if it, you know on on financial issues um so for example one thing somebody could you know you could if, if you're filing joint tax returns which a lot of married couples do get the last three to five years of tax returns you know um look those over you know, understand them, understand what the, you know, any, any accounts and assets that are on there, things, you know, see how much money is coming in, you know, things like that. Joint bank account statements, joint credit cards, you know, or, and, and also just, to, you know, those type of documents are important, I think, just to have a, a sense of what's going on. Um, and your own spending too. Um, you know, some, some spouses, they, they, you know, well, they, they are, have been reliant on the other spouse to kind of handle all money matters. So they may not know how much their mortgage is or their rent, you know, how much the property taxes are, how much they spend on clothing, grocery store, things like that. And all those figures are going to be relevant in the divorce case. Yeah, I think I had a, a client who um, was separated Mm -hmm. And the husband had an IRA and he cashed that in and didn't report it in the settlement process. And mm. so she became liable for 50% of the tax impact of that issue. And so yeah. now she's trying to go to court to say, I didn't know about it. I think it's called an innocent spouse claim. Yeah. I mean, so innocence. Yeah. I mean, it, it you know, there are, there are court, uh, there are court, there are ways of dealing with that in the court system. You know, in California, it would be, you know, an omitted asset is what it's called. Mm -hmm. So a spouse didn't disclose something and there's remedies for that. But it's, a, you know, of course, but it's it's a pain to have to fix that stuff on the back end. And you can't always yeah. control it. I mean, if somebody's lying and hiding things, you know, uh, you know, it's you have to, of course, do your diligence and your attorney needs to do the diligence during the case to to make sure everything is known. Um, but yeah, the more, you know, the better, um, I, I, I think, um, because it would be, and you it, shouldn't it, be afraid to say, I don't know. You Absolutely. Know, you know, I think that there are some, um, certified divorce financial analysts, maybe certain accountants or even YouTube and other sources that can give you a very basic education in financial terminology. You know, women were typically kind of raised that we're bad in math, that the guy is good in math. And so we need to kind of conquer that way of thinking because this is an area it's, and I try and talk with my clients about, it isn't just about winning this pot of money, right? Mm -hmm. You have to think about this is the entire rest of your life. That's right. It's a lot bigger deal than just winning. It's sound planning so that you will, you know, have funds for the rest of your life. That's right. Absolutely. And, you know, some, some cases it's, it really makes sense, you know, to involve, um, you know, maybe not a forensic accountant that may be, that may not be needed in every case, but to advise involve potentially a financial advisor on your side. And there are lots of yes. um, CDFA, which are, you know, certified divorce mm -hmm. financial analysts, and they can assist at, generally a cheaper um, hourly rate than an attorney in sort of helping somebody project out, okay, you know, in terms of, all right, for, for spousal support, for example, you know, like, and, and the assets that somebody's getting and the income that can be thrown off from those assets, like how much do I need, you know, for my life, 
is this, is what I'm getting enough? Do I need to go back to work? Is there a short, you know, there are lots of questions. I mean, another area I see that very, being very helpful in is deciding what to do with the house. In a lot of cases that if they, you know, parties own a house, that's a major asset, the biggest asset in the case. So the question becomes, okay, does the wife want to stay in the house? Is that is that an option? Is that something, you know, that A, can, you know, is, can she afford to do it with the support and assets, other assets and potential income from those assets she's going to get? Does it make sense if there's a high, high housing cost every month, like with the property taxes and mortgage? Does it make sense, even if you can afford it, to be spending, you know, most of your right. monthly income on the house? So those kind exactly. of issues, super important to address. Um in the case and understand it. So yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, don't be afraid to say, I don't know. I don't understand. Can you explain it again? Because, you know, divorce, divorce lawyers, family law attorneys, we do this stuff all the time. And so, you know, it's, sometimes people can speak fast and, you know, kind of assume that, that everybody understands. And it's very important to, to ask as many times as you need to understand the process and and any questions about any of it. Christina, this has been so fabulous. I could go on on and on asking you questions, but I ask each of my guests for three actionable takeaways for the audience. What do you suggest? Okay, so two, I would say two of them, I would say get organized, get educated, and if necessary, if it's appropriate, talk to a therapist or a divorce coach. Right. So, you know, I've kind of talked about get educated and and get organized. Mm-hmm. I mean, that when I'm really, you know, when I'm talking about talking to a lawyer early in the process, understanding the finances, you know, organizing the documents. I mean, that's a this is a minor thing, but actually it can be cost saving. So I'll, I'll yes. note it when you give documents to your attorney, you know, if they can, if you can, if you can organize them up front or get somebody to help you organize them up front and present them to your lawyer in that way, it saves money and time. Um, so, and so even if you need to get somebody to help you do that, that may, it probably has a lesser rate than the attorney, or maybe the attorney's paralegal, that's good. Um, so my, my last action will take away, you know, in terms of if it's a, high cost, you know, divorce is challenging for everybody, you know, and, and it's, you know, really there's, there are very rare cases that are just totally, totally amicable, you know, where everyone's just a hundred percent ready to just immediately move on. So I, I think getting a therapist or getting, working with a divorce coach is a, is an important, is, is great. I mean, it's important for, for people, I think, because there's so many emotions that come up in the process and, you know, dynamics and things like that, that, you know, a divorce lawyer, while of course we've, you know, we've, we've, we are experienced in, of course, being a sounding board and talking to folks, we're not mental health professionals, you know? And so I think that it makes sense to be able to have an outlet outside of your attorney, maybe outside of your friends and family, you know, sort of a dedicated person that can, you can talk to about all the things that you're going through that can help you sort of realize. And I do tell this to my clients, like there is, there is another side, there's, you will come out the other end of this. Like there is an ending to this process. You will be happier. And this, this, this sort of, this process won't last forever. So those would be my three. (laughs) That's important. 
Thank you so much for being my guest today. This has been so information-packed, and I know it's going to be so helpful to the audience. Thank you, Christina. Thanks so much for having me. And thank you to our listeners for being with Christina and myself on this episode of Her Empowered Divorce. All of Christina's information will be available in the show notes along with mine. You can find them at HerEmpoweredDivorce.com on the podcast page or wherever you listen to podcasts and YouTube. If you'd like one-on-one support for your divorce process, sign up for a free consultation with me at HerEmpoweredDivorce.com. And join me for our next episode where I'll be diving deeper into what other expert professionals can share to help you on your separation and divorce journey. Remember that you can find more episodes, back episodes, and information at HerEmpoweredDivorce.com. Thank you so much and take care. Thank you for listening to the Her Empowered Divorce Podcast. Remember, divorce doesn't have to be a death sentence. With the right support and guidance, you can move through the process with knowledge, skills, and confidence. And it can also be a time of growth and empowerment. A divorce and empowerment coach is an invaluable member of your divorce team. I help you understand and navigate the process, come to terms with your emotions, avoid costly mistakes, find your true voice, and create an empowered life post-divorce. If you're interested in learning more, schedule a free consultation at HerEmpoweredDivorce.com. And be sure to check out my other episodes of Her Empowered Divorce podcast and resources on my website or wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. This will help me reach out to more women in the same space so you are not so alone. I appreciate your support. Until next time, take care and stay empowered.